Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word this morning. Tina is coming to read our scripture this morning found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 25. There in the Pew Bibles in front of you, found the scripture is found on page 721, or you can follow along in your own Bible as well. Again, Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 25. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate re release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head, with the staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word. Make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life. And now, God, especially today, hide me behind your cross. Let your cross shine through today for the redemption of the world. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
we have been taking a look at the last seven days of the life of Jesus. We have, we, have, we have journeyed with Jesus every day of the last week of his life, beginning with Palm Sunday. We started Lent with Palm Sunday. We looked how he came into Jerusalem riding in, uh, n- not, as a, not as someone who was defeated, but he, he was riding in. Uh, uh, he, he was making a very a specific statement when he rode in riding on a donkey instead of riding on a white stallion. We saw how he cleansed the temple that day, how he came back to the temple uh, on Monday, and he began to teach among the people. He began to heal as well. Uh, We saw how on on, on Wednesday he had spent some time with some friends and how he was anointed uh, by his friend Mary. And then finally last week we saw how he spent his last supper with his disciples. Now that took place on, on Thursday evening that he had a last supper with his disciples and he instituted what we understand as, as Holy Communion that we'll be celebrating today. And then after he, uh, a- after he had that supper, he went, he went to a garden. He left, he left Jerusalem property, uh, proper. He went uh, down into the Kidron Valley and up the side of the, the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, there was a, there was a garden called Gethsemane. And he, he stayed there and he prayed, asking his disciples to pray with him. And we saw how last week, uh, for three different times, his disciples fell asleep. When Jesus had asked them to pray for him and to pray with them, he, they fell asleep. And, and so it really led us up to the uh, probably around midnight. So it probably was around midnight that, that Judas Iscariot, one of his faithful disciples, uh, had, had agreed to betray Jesus, had agreed to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Now that, was, that would have been about a month's wage, um, a month's worth of wages. And so Judas Iscariot, beginning again a, around midnight or so, really is where our story begins uh, really how our story begins today. Now, you remember last week I had a triclinium set up here, a three-sided table where Jesus would have had his last supper with his disciples. And we saw where, um, how the, the, the gospel narratives tell us uh, by the clues that we pick up on the seating chart. Do you remember? To his right, it would have been John, the beloved disciple, and to his left would have been Judas Iscariot. That was the only way the seating would have been able to have occurred because of what happened that evening. And so John, the beloved disciple, was on his right, a, a, a place of honor. And on his left, a, another place of honor was Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. And so just after midnight there in that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus saw Judas coming to him, coming to him, and Judas greeted Jesus with a with a kiss. And along with Judas, there were the temple guards and a few other rulers of uh, Jewish rulers. And they came and they arrested Jesus. Now, um, the other messiahs, so-called messiahs that had come before Jesus, those that were setting them, uh, themselves up to be the savior of the Hebrew people. And by the way, there were multiple of them. There were a number of others that were leading insurrections against uh, and rebellions against the Roman Empire and even other empires before then. And they had always failed because they had always led with the sword. On this evening, when this one Jesus that they had 
proclaimed and hailed him as their king just on that previous Sunday. This was, again, very late on Thursday evening, early Friday morning. They had hailed him as their king on Sunday morning. And a king, when, when a king is, is, uh, is confronted with an enemy, a king calls his, his subjects to arms. That's what, a, that's what a regular king does. And that's what Peter did that evening. But Jesus told the soldiers, I have, I've been around you every day this week and I have, I have not raised a sword toward you and I have, I have not been seeking to lead a rebellion, but they, they arrested him anyway. And they immediately went to the house of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the, Caiaphas was the high priest that year. And here on our model, this is a model of, of, the, of the old city of Jerusalem that you can find in Israel today. And down on the far bottom left is Caiaphas' house. You can see up at the top in this, in this picture is the temple proper. They go to Caiaphas' house and there was a mock trial. There, it was a hastily called meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a collection of some of the Jewish rulers. There was a high priest there. Uh, there were some of the Pharisees, some of the, even some of the Sadducees, some of the scribes and other teachers of the law. This was the ruling group of all of the Jewish people. Uh, m- they were, again, uh, m- mostly priests, but not all priests. Uh, these were the ones that made the, made the decisions dealing with the dealing with the Jewish people. And, and the reason that they needed a meeting of the Sanhedrin was because this was, uh, this was, the, this was Passover week. This was, uh, Jerusalem would have been flooded with tens and tens of thousands of visitors that week. And Rome would have been keeping a very close eye on Jerusalem that week because they did not want another rebellion to occur that had happened multiple times before. And so they were keeping a very close eye on the Hebrew people. And so the Sanhedrin came together and they began to ask Jesus questions. In fact, they called together two people who made a false accusation against Jesus. And so they finally asked him a question, a question that Jesus had never answered them up to this point. They asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the promised Messiah? And he said, I am. It is just as you have said. And the scriptures say, and again, looking at the, looking at the crucifixion narratives, you really, you really have to read each one, of the, each one of the narratives because they all give a little bit of a different detail. So if you compile all the stories together, I believe that you begin to get a more complete understanding of what went on that, um, that evening and that day of Friday. And so when Jesus said, I am... Uh, he, was, he was making a very clear statement, and, and, the, and the scripture says that the high priest tore his robe in two, and he began to yell at him, heresy, heresy, and they knew what had to happen to Jesus that day. They set it upon them, their mind that he had, he had to be killed, but they rec- recognized that they had no legal authority to put anyone to death, and so, so they brought him to Herod's house. This is a picture of, of the temple proper, and on the, on the right-hand side in our picture, upper right hand, you will find a, a large building that was, that was, I mean, by the way, this was built by Herod, and there was the Antonia Fortress. 
The Antonia, Antonia Fortress was where uh, the, the local ruler, Pontius Pilate, uh, in, in this instance, would have, would have, he, he, that's where he would have lived or his offices would have been. That's where the temple guards would have, uh, would have, would, would, have been, would have been housed as well. And so the Sanhedrin, they rushed Jesus into, into the front of Pontius Pilate. And they brought Jesus there and began to accuse him. They began to accuse him. Now, Pilate had heard about Jesus. He knew exactly who he was. He had been, it, it appears as though Pilate had been following the career of Jesus. He knew that he was just simply a country bumpkin preacher. He, he, was, he was someone who, who preached peace. He was someone who, who, who told his followers to, uh, to pay taxes. He was one that, that told his followers, if a Roman soldier comes and asks you to walk one mile, you walk two miles with him. Pilate knew that Jesus was someone who said, forgive your enemies. Don't take up sword against your enemies, but instead, forgive your enemies. If someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn to them the other cheek so that you can slap, so they can slap that cheek as well. Pilate knew exactly who Jesus was. And so he asked Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, are you the king of the Jews? Are, are you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate knew that, that he had been hailed as king of the Jews. He had been appointed as king of the Jews by the Roman emperor. That literally was who he was. He was king of the Jews. He knew, Pilate knew that this, this Jesus was, he was no one. He was, he was simply a, a country preacher that was, that was preaching forgiveness and peace. He was absolutely no threat to Pilate. Pilate knew that full well. He found no fault in Jesus. But Pilate was troubled about Jesus. For you see, Pilate's wife, the evening before, had had a dream about Jesus. And in that dream, she was warned, she was warned to not have anything to do with this Jesus. And so she had told Pilate her dream. She had told her husband, I've had a dream, and I'm telling you, there is something going on with this guy. I don't know who he is. You better not have anything to do with him. And so Pilate was trying, he was trying as best as he could to free Jesus. Because again, of the dream and, and because he knew that he was absolutely no threat to Pilate or to the Roman Empire. And so Pilate knew that it was on this occasion, because it was the day, it was getting ready to be the day of Passover... He knew that it was the custom of that area that he would, have, uh, he would be able to release a prisoner sometime. And so he had a prisoner down in the basement of the Antonia Fortress. He had a, he had, he had a, he had a prisoner down in the basement of the Antonia Fortress, and the, and the prisoner's name was Judas Barabbas. Now, Judas Barabbas, known as Barabbas, was someone who was, he was very well known he, was, uh, he had led a rebellion. He had led a, 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 an, a, an insurrection. He was even a murderer and a thief. He was, well, he was one who was going to, I mean, he had already led a, a rebellion with the sword. And so he lifted up, he lifted up before the people these two. 
these two for release. Do you want me to release to you Barabbas, who has, who has led a rebellion with the sword, one who, who, who is going to, I mean, he, he says that he's promising freedom to you, but we've seen already that that, 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 that rebellion that he's going to lead and already has been led will be, uh, will, be, will be squashed by the Roman authorities. Do you want me to release to you Barabbas, or do you want me to release to you this country bumpkin preacher, this preacher that is preaching peace and forgiveness. Pilate, in his mind, just knew. He just knew that the people were going to choose Jesus because Jesus was no threat to the Roman Empire whatsoever. But the scriptures say that the Jewish rulers began to stir among the people And he asked, who do you want me to release to you? And they began to clamor among themselves, release to us Barabbas, Barabbas. Pilate, once again, seems like he um, was trying to simply simply free Jesus. He was trying to to free Jesus. The, the, The people had made up their mind who, what kind of king they wanted. They wanted a king in Barabbas that would lead with the sword. Pilate didn't want to, he didn't want to crucify Jesus at all. And so he sent him out to his, his guards so that they would, they would beat him and, and, and whip him. Oftentimes it's depicted something much, very much like this. They would have used, um, I have in my mind, they would have used something like a bullwhip, but it wasn't a, a bullwhip. It was called a cat of nine tails. It was a very short-handled whip, and along uh, on, the, on the end of that whip would have been uh, some straps of leather about that long. There would have been nine straps of leather. And at the end of those straps of leather would not have been a, 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 a piece of, you know, a piece of leather. Instead, they would have embedded uh, shards of glass or shards of rock so that whenever, whenever they whipped someone, they, they would whip them and then drag, drag the whip across the back so as to tear away the, the skin and the flesh. 39 lashes is all that, that was allowed by Roman rule, and so Jesus would have been whipped 39 times. Again, not just with a whip, but a whip that would have been tearing away the the skin and the flesh and the muscles, maybe even down to the bone. And then the guards began to mock Jesus. He was king of the Jews. (laughs) What a king of the Jews he looked like. They found a thorn bush and they fashioned out of that thorn bush a a crown of thorns and, and put it on Jesus' head. Those thorns certainly would have been would have begun to pierce his forehead. And then they put upon him a, a purple robe and they put, uh, they put into his hand a, a staff and they mockingly hailed him as their king and they began to beat him and said, prophet, and, they, and they, they, they blindfolded him and they began to beat him and said, who hit you this time, king? Oh, you king of the Jews. And they began to spit upon him. And they brought him back before Pilate and the rest of the Jewish rulers. I think in Pilate's mind, he thought probably that would appease the Jewish rulers. 
seeing this country bumpkin preacher beaten and abused almost even to the point of death. So he asked them, what do you want me to do with this Jesus, this king of the Jews? And one person in the crowd said, crucify him. And then two more, crucify him. And four more, crucify him. Until all of the crowd with one voice began to echo, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate washed his hands of the decision. Symbolizing that he had no part in the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they began to lead Jesus up to that hill called Golgotha. There's debate on what kind of cross Jesus would have carried. Scripture or uh, Christian tradition says that it would have been a cross very much like this. And more than likely, Jesus would have carried just one beam of that cross up the hill. Now that's if you go there today, and, and I know some of you, many of you have, have been to Jerusalem, if you walk that way of the cross from the Antonia Fortress up to Golgotha, it's about a 15-minute walk. It's, it's not a very strenuous walk. However, that's if someone is very healthy. Jesus would have been carrying a large beam of wood on his back, and he, and, and, and he had been beaten almost to the point of death. He falls a number of times as he's walking through the crowd. Some of the crowd is cheering. Some of the crowd is shouting insults at him. Other, other, uh, others in the crowd are spitting upon him. Obviously, he is cursed by God if he is getting ready to be crucified, they think in their own mind. And Jesus didn't even have the dignity of carrying his own cross. He couldn't continue, and so someone from the crowd Simon of Serene was called to carry his cross for him. When they got to the top of that hill called Golgotha, then the soldiers began their work. Now, by the way, this was not the first crucifixion that they had ever performed. In fact, thousands and thousands of people had been crucified. They would have taken a hammer and a large nail and and pierced Jesus' wrist. Now, many of us believe that it would have been here in his hands, but it probably was not in his hands. For if it had been in his hands, the, the, the nail simply would have ripped through. It, they, would have, they would have pierced him here in, in his wrists. And then they would have driven a nail into his, into his feet. Uh, there, again, much of the time we, we have this idea that, that, that there would have been one nail through both feet, but we, they've actually found evidence, evidence, only one piece of archaeological evidence of someone being crucified. And the reason for that, there, there's only been one, one, one fragment of anything that they've ever been found that someone was crucified. Again, the reason for that was because when someone was crucified, their body was never claimed, ever family wouldn't have claimed that body because they would have been fearful that had they shown themselves to be a family member of the person that was crucified, they too might face the same fate. And so the bodies of those who were crucified were just simply, literally thrown into the city dump. 
but they found one bone fragment of someone that they believe was crucified. Here's a picture of it. On the right-hand side is the actual bone fragment. And, and if you look in that, you can see that there was a nail that was, that was driven through the bone. And so many scholars today now believe instead of Jesus' feet being crossed with one nail between both feet, instead his feet would have been, um, would have been uh, nailed to, to both sides, to both sides of the cross. And then the cross would have been lifted. Now again, we've watched the movies. And we have this idea that the crowd would have, would have been kept way back. And, and the cross would have been really, really high up there. But more than likely, the cross would have not been much higher than this. Just enough. Just enough for Jesus', for Jesus feet to be up off the ground. And the crowd may have been kept away just a bit. But more than likely... Jesus would have been close enough to the crowd to hear what they were saying about him. If you are the Christ, <laughs> call down Elijah. Maybe, maybe Elijah will come and save you. Call down the angels from heaven. Maybe if you are really the Christ, God will save you. This pathway of death is one of the most horrific and excruciating that has ever been developed. In fact, that word excruciating comes from the Latin root of the word that we get crucify, crucifix, excruciating. It was excruciating. And, and, and the intent of a crucifixion was, was, so, that, was so that the person would would experience the most amount of pain before death. Jesus, because he had been beaten almost to the point of death, lived only six hours. And he yelled out. There were a number of things that he said from the cross. Some are very significant. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He looked down upon those in the crowd and he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then his final word from the cross, it is finished. We know about the cross. We've heard about it. Many of us have heard about it all of our lives. We know that we are saved because of the death of Jesus Christ and we leave it there. We don't know if we want to explore anymore what that really means. Very briefly, I want us to think about three different things that I think the cross teaches us. First, the cross is an indictment on humanity. What other kind of being would come up with a, with a way for another human being to die other than broken people? We are so very broken. The scripture says that we have all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It wasn't the Jewish rulers that were yelling crucify. It was you and me who were shouting crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. For we shout crucify him every time we turn from God and turn to a life of sin. 
Only humans. Only humans could come up with something like that. Only people like you and, and me could come up with something like the cross. The cross is an, is an indictment on the brokenness and the fallenness of humanity. But likewise, the cross fixes humanity. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God has offered us forgiveness of our sins. Something has to happen because of our sins. There has to be atonement, for we serve a holy God, and we are so unholy. We serve a holy God, but we are so unholy. Something has to happen to us, to us, and for us, for us to be able to have a relationship with this loving God. And the cross fixes us. The cross forgives us of our sins. The cross atones for our sins. Praise God. And the cross is a sign of a radical kingdom. A radical kingdom, a kingdom where grace and love prevail. A kingdom that is not going to be led with a sword. A kingdom that is not going to get back at enemies by, getting, by, by doing to them what they have done to us like Barabbas wanted. It's not going to be a kingdom wherein we lead an insurrection, but instead it is a kingdom where we forgive our enemies. It is a kingdom in which we turn the other cheek. It is a kingdom in which we give, literally, the clothes off of our back to others. It's a radical kind of kingdom. And we have been called to be kind of people who are radical in our love. Just as Jesus Christ loved us by his self-sacrifice, we too are called to love others in that same kind of self-sacrifice. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Well, again, sometimes we're not exactly sure what that means. We know what it is to, to deny ourselves. But sometimes we have this idea, of, and when we, when we say we're going to take up our cross, well, you know, I'll just bear the burdens of life. No. No, it's more active than that. It means seeking out suf to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means actively taking up our cross. Actively, not passively. Actively taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following the path of Jesus Christ. Indeed, we are saved by the cross. In the cross of Christ, we glory. Call it Good Friday. It's a good Friday because we have been offered forgiveness. It's a good Friday because we have been offered salvation. It's a good Friday because we have been offered a new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus was preaching his last sermon from the cross about what it was to love and to give of ourselves to others, the rest of that sermon was going to be preached three days later, coming up on Easter Sunday. Would you bow with me?
to right there where you are. I would ask that you simply take your hands, extend your palms upward, and, and place them there on your lap, just right there where you are. You know, oftentimes we, we want to grasp on to the things that God has entrusted to us. We want, we want to hold on to our families and we want, we want to hold on to our possessions. We even want to hold on to our sins. But God has called us to let go of it all. To release to Him our families and our possessions our burdens, our sins, to release to him our very lives. Oh Lord Jesus, we release to you our lives and our sins. We offer to you everything that we have and everything that we are right now. Because of your death upon the cross, you have offered you have offered to take away our sins, to take, to take away the, the burdens of our lives, to offer us salvation and forgiveness, a yoke and a burden that is light and easy. Lord Jesus, help us to take upon your yoke and your, yoke and your burden. Help us to take upon ourselves your salvation and your forgiveness. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.